0: Welcome, everyone. It was um, always a pleasure to sit with you. And um, so it's October. I It seems like I just turned around for a few seconds and came back around and it was fall. Summer was gone. So it's just really uh, kind of bittersweet. Um, I wanted to um, start out the evening with... Um, A short poem called Autumn by Rilke. As from the distance leaves are falling, fall as if the far off gardens fade into the sky. They fall with gestures of relinquishing. And through the night there falls the pressing earth down past the star in lonesomeness. We are all falling. There, this hand falls too, occurring to us all. Just look around you. Still, there is one who holds us tenderly, as in his hands we fall, fall endlessly. So, this um, evening is the, um, this begins our series on the five faculties. And the five faculties, these are qualities really that become um, very central to our lives um, as we deepen our spiritual practice. And in fact, they are sometimes called the controlling faculties because they have the power to, um, to shape and motivate our actions and our thoughts our feelings. And, you know, this is a good thing. I mean, sometimes people hear that word controlling and it sounds kind of scary. It doesn't sound like something we would really want. But then when you think about it in this way, that these faculties are um, really far better to have at our center, sort of as our controlling um, our controlling field than the alternative, which is essentially um, when we're our our actions and and thoughts and feelings kind of all motivated, generated by desire, um, ill will and delusion. So what are these five faculties? Well, the first one is faith. Uh, The Pali word is Sada and I'll be spending most of my time this evening talking about faith. The second faculty is vigor or effort um, in Pali, Virya. The third is mindfulness, Sati. The fourth, concentration or Samadhi. And the fifth is wisdom or Panya. And these qualities are really um, all kind of intertwined and work together um, so that, you know, one balances another. So, for example, if faith, if if faith is overly strong, too strong, then it, it can affect our vigor and our mindfulness and our concentration and our wisdom. Um, so I, I could say something like, you know, well, I don't really need to exert myself to be really mindful and concentrated because I have this faith that by practicing, maybe if I practice you know, a few times a week, um, I have faith that I will awaken. Or we um, we can sometimes misdirect um, our faith towards something that's not really Um, helpful, not really essential if our goal is to um, be fully awake in life and to be free from suffering. Or if faith is overly strong, it it may affect, you know, my um, my discernment, my willingness to question, you know, is this is this a wise or wholesome Thing that I'm considering doing? Is this a wise or wholesome choice? Is this a wise or wholesome thing to say? Um, if we have faith, we may just figure, well, you know, I, I have faith. It's, it's the right thing. So, according to the teachings, faith needs to be balanced by the fifth faculty, which is wisdom. So, we're questioning with our wisdom, am I putting my trust, am I putting my confidence um, in the things that will truly lead me to be free? To be also at ease in life, to be loving and compassionate. Or am I uh, relying, am I, do I have faith in something that really shuts down? Um, my willingness to investigate, my willingness to really question things. And then on the other hand, if wisdom is out of balance and is too strong, then we might become uh, like Mr. Todd in Beatrix Potter's stories. I don't know if you know Mr. Todd, but Mr. Todd is a fox and he's a very cunning creature and kind of always looking for a way to manipulate things, to kind of go his way. So wisdom, then, is balanced by faith. Faith being the, the ability to trust in something that we don't know, we can't know with our intellect, we can't know with our thinking mind. And so in the same way, the teachings say that uh, concentration is balanced then by vigor or effort, energy, and vice versa. I mean, if you've ever um, experienced a deep state of concentration, you know that um, sometimes we can lose ourselves um, in this state to the point where, you know, we just become kind of inactive and maybe a little lazy. (laughs) And what that brings to mind for me is The story of the Buddha and um, that he became so concentrated and so enraptured um, in his state of absorption that he could not even move his eyelids. So I'm sure uh, you've seen those statues of the Buddha with his eyes half closed. And that's because he's so absorbed so content that he can't move his, he's not interested in moving his eyelid up or down. So that's really, that is the power. This is a very powerful state, this power of bliss and supreme concentration. And so, and I don't mean to suggest that the Buddha um, was lazy or inactive. Um, In fact, he was anything but I mean, once he had achieved enlightenment, he really did have the choice to um, to stay absorbed, to stay in his blissful state. But he didn't do that, did he? He he decided after a time that um, he would go out into the world and teach, so that so that others could awaken as he had. So this is just an example of. Um, illustrating the um, intoxicating power of concentrated states. So then we balance concentration with vigor, effort, energy. And then when vigor becomes too strong, then what can be the result? Then we might suffer from the agitated mind, that restlessness, too much energy inability to focus, to concentrate. So then the power or the faculty of concentration kind of balances. So this this is kind of a kind of a dance that 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 goes on between these um, various faculties. And then um, mindfulness, which is the fifth, um, which is the, the fifth faculty that we haven't talked about, or I haven't talked about yet in terms of this balance. Mindfulness called the refuge and protector of the mind. Mindfulness um, in the teachings it is, is, taught, is needed for all of these qualities to be fully developed, for all of these qualities, faith, vigor, concentration, and wisdom. Mindfulness is, and in the teachings, mindfulness is kind of likened to the seasoning that goes with all the curries, kind of like a salt. So so faith is my topic for this evening. Um, Sada in the Pali. And it's sometimes translated as trust or confidence. And um, Actually, literally, it means to offer one's heart um, or to draw near. Or, and I really like this one, to set forth. So, in these teachings, faith is an active faculty. And I like to think of it as having the confidence to move forward, to keep our hearts um, open, to keep our minds open, no matter how uncertain things look, no matter how much fear um, we may have when we face what is in life. So can we trust um, Can we trust, can we have faith in this process of awakening that we're all engaged in when we practice, right? Can we trust that um, letting go, letting go of our cravings, our unhealthy desires, our comfortable patterns of behavior, can we trust that this will truly free us? And so this is a trust also in something that's intangible and something that we can't prove scientifically or verify by our thinking minds. And this trust is really um, required for us to, to really cultivate this practice. It's a sense that tells us at a very deep level, that almost everything that our society, that our culture tells us is important, is not really that important. You know, that we're not here in this life to be a consumer, <laughs> a consumer of pleasurable experiences, because, um, you know, this is, What many people spend their day doing, you know, going from one, seeking out one pleasurable experience after another and hopefully avoiding the unpleasant ones. Um, And so we're constantly bombarded, you know, in our culture with the media and with advertising. And it really the marketing and advertising really taps into that that. when you have that desire to um, satisfy sense pleasures, if that is the core, if that's what is central to um, your life, then you're really susceptible, aren't you, to all that bombardment? But as practitioners, we can have trust and we can have faith that... um, You know, that we, and that life is really so much more than that. And we can have the sense that, you know, just sitting quietly, um, being mindful, opening our hearts to what is. That this is really so much more worthy of us than anything that we see outside of ourselves. So faith is what tells us that it really is possible to um, transform our lives in a very deep way with our practice. And faith is also what can save us from despair when we look around us and we see the reality of how things are um, in our life, that everything outside of ourselves, including our own bodies, is Impermanent. It's not solid. I also wanted to mention that, um, you know, faith has take faith has kind of a bad rap in our culture these days also, because um, we really live in um, an age of cynicism, don't we? I mean, um, we and, and cynicism and so much emphasis on intellect, what we can know with our thinking minds. And so, you know, it can be hard. It's, it's hard to sometimes to have faith in something that um, can't be proven scientifically or otherwise. But it is interesting I'm sure some of you or maybe all of you have read about the scientific experiments that have been done on the meditating monks. And and so there is some proof that has come out of these scientific investigations that really show that this practice um, of mindfulness um, is really healthy. It's really um, a healthy thing that we do for ourselves when we sit like this. Um, So we can sort of we can have that to help support also help support our faith. And often in our culture, when you mention the word faith, um, many people just kind of assume that you're talking about um, a blind faith, Um, just accepting views and beliefs without questioning. And I, I think we can look around us and there are many people who um, who are engaged in blind faith. They, they like that. <laughs> they don't have to question. They don't have to investigate. They can just accept um, from some, something or someone outside of themselves. They, they can accept it and go on with their life. But certainly, um, the Buddha never offered his teachings in this way. He never said, Believe what I say. He was always very clear about um, telling people, here is a practice. Um, It's transformed my life. Try it. See if it works for you. See if it frees you from unhappiness and stress and sleeping through life Not paying attention. Constantly going from one, attempting to go from one pleasurable experience to another. Um, If it doesn't transform your life, then give it up and go look somewhere else. He was very clear about that. So, keeping in mind that faith um, is an activity that flowers from within and not a blind acceptance of some belief system, we can see that faith involves a process of letting go of cynicism, of letting go of apathy. I mean, cynicism and apathy are not usually um, um, qualities associated with the heart, are they? I mean, we, we talked about the fact that One of the definitions of faith is um, to offer one's heart. And we can see also that it involves an activity, the activity of using our intelligence to discern what is really true. What is really true for us? Is this practice uh, allowing us to be more at ease in life? Is it opening our hearts? Is it truly transforming us at a very deep level? And this kind of questioning is not, certainly not something that happens with blind faith. With blind faith, there's no um, opening for growth. There's no opening for change. There's no opening for engagement with others who who might have a different um, view or, or a different way of looking at things. Buddhism uses a, um, a wonderful analogy to describe blind faith, to describe you know what happens when we contract or harden around a belief system to the point where we stop questioning, to the point where we close our minds. And the analogy is you're gazing, picture yourself gazing at the vastness of the sky through a straw. That's the way Buddhism describes it. And I also, I can't imagine anything harder than um, trying to be mindful with a closed mind. Right. (laughs) Does not compute. Um, Alan Alan Watts wrote that belief clings, faith lets go. Um, The first experience that I personally had with this with with this kind of faith. Was when we um, decided, as a community, um, that we were going to try and find a um, a, a building and find um, and and purchase a building, have a permanent home for ourselves. Because we years ago we were kind of, you know, sitting here and there, Friends Meeting House in Palo Alto, and the Town Hall in Portola Valley, and kind of renting, moving around. And we got to the point where we grew enough and wanted to do more. And it seemed like um, that we should it it would it seemed like it should be right that we would have our own place. And so um, I was working with Gil and other other Sangha members on this project. And I remember um, being very worried, you know, that we first of all, uh, that we would be able to raise enough money for a building. And then when we found this building, and um, the um, owners, um, who were Christian mystics, um, offered to carry um, the loan for us, and we actually had by then, after several years, we had enough uh, for the down payment. Then I worried about, you know, are we ever going to be able to? Are we going to make the mortgage payments? Um, It wasn't insignificant amount of money. You know, are we going to be able to pay the utilities and? Um, so of course I was concerned and, but then I would, I kind of look over at Gil and kind of see, try to figure out what was going on with him in terms of what we were trying to do here. And Gil just seemed so quietly assured. He just seemed so unworried and unconcerned. He just seemed to have this faith that it would work out. And, um, and so I was really inspired by that. I was inspired to um, forge ahead and to kind of um, put my worries aside. And, of course, sure enough, we were able to um, pay off this building in three years, all through um, just the generosity of people like you coming here. And, you know, IMC is financially sound. So that was my very first experience with, with true faith. So faith, um, requires, as an activity, it requires engagement. It requires, um, engagement with life, engagement with other people. And I remember that for myself, before I started this practice, um, my tendency in life was to kind of withdraw, um, to, to avoid. And, um, you know, this was just really a result of my conditioning. Um, you know, growing up, I was taught essentially, um, not to trust myself. I was taught not to have a very good image of myself. So then by withdrawing, I felt I was kind of staying safe. I was, uh, Avoiding criticism and avoiding conflict. But then as I began to practice um, and I began um, looking deeply into my own heart and looking deeply into the relationship between mind and body and looking directly at the things uh, about myself, that weren't so beautiful and accepting them and seeing that they were really just simply part of being human, simply part of being imperfect. I mean, this is as human beings, we um, were not perfect. (laughs) And so a kind of process of purification um, really began to unfold within me. but in order for this purification process to begin, I really had to open myself. I had to open my mind and my heart to all those things that I disliked about myself, as well as the things that I liked. And, you know, Gill often describes this practice as a process of investigation, a process of inquiry. This is what we do when we practice. We look at what arises, whatever it is, um, we accept it and investigate it, and we come to know ourselves. And, of course, this requires a mind that's wide open. I have um, a favorite poem from Rumi, the 13th century Sufi poet, that kind of describes this process that we go through when we're sitting. So Rumi writes, this being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing. Invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent from a guide. Each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So the more that I understood myself in this deepest way, the more I was able to trust my own experience. And the more I trusted, the easier it became for me to engage, engage with other people. Um, Because I saw that other people have the same kinds of imperfections. (laughs) Uh, as well as the same beautiful, noble qualities um, that I have. So I never, um, or or I no longer had to really be afraid that somehow I would be less, or somehow I would be not as good as other people. So faith really is this incredibly um, heart-connected quality, and it connects us with our own, innate goodness, our Buddha nature, our own true self. This is why we practice, right? And faith can be, um, can really be a a very strong antidote to the misery that we we sometimes experience, you know, during different periods um, when we practice. I mean, It's hard to sit sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to um, come face to face with some of our deepest fears and um, our perceived shortcomings. Um, It's hard to deal with restlessness. It's hard to deal with those pains in the body. Um, It's hard to sit with an agitated um, mind. And it's hard to sit through those times when, you know, we may be going through something very painful in our life. Of course, um, no discussion of faith would be um, complete without talking about doubt. Um, before my practice deepened um, in the first few years that I was practicing, sometimes I would have this experience where um I would suddenly kind of find myself standing outside of myself, looking at looking at me, sitting, and this entity, whatever it was that was outside of myself would look at me and go, "Why are you just sitting there doing nothing? you know why don't you?" You know, why don't you get up and do the laundry? Why don't you write a book? Why don't you do something? You know? Um, so this is doubt. And, and doubt is one of the hindrances. And how to counteract doubt. Well, fortunately, um, I had been practicing long enough so that I had already begun to experience directly Um some of the benefits that come from this practice, even though it was a fledgling practice at the time. And so to counteract that doubt, I would just kind of reflect on how my life um, had improved since I had begun practicing regularly. And so how had it improved? Well, I noticed that in any given situation, sometimes I would have actually just a second where I could choose how I wanted to respond. And I noticed that when I had this second, um, and I actually it was able to choose um, a wise response, um, generally the situation in my life came out better. I mean, this is the law of cause and effect, right? Our actions matter. Our actions have consequences, Wise or skillful choices lead to happiness and unwise or unskillful choices lead to suffering. If we're awake and paying attention, um, that's pretty clear. And also, if we're not awake, if we're not paying attention, it, it becomes so easy to make those unwise choices Sharon Salzberg wrote a whole book on faith. And if you're interested in this topic, I highly recommend her book. And in her book, she says, faith is strengthened by doubt when doubt is a sincere, critical questioning combined with deep trust in our own right and ability to discern the truth. So sincere, critical questioning, discerning the truth. This this is our practice, isn't it? And in Buddhism, this kind of questioning is actually called skillful, skillful doubt. So the teachings talk about um, kind of these four key ingredients um, for faith or that make up faith. Um, intellect, volition, emotion and social aspect. So as far as the intellect goes, we've already talked about using our intelligence and our investigation and our skillful doubt to actually bolster our faith rather than allow it to be torn down, and we can counteract our doubts with reflection on how the practice has improved our lives um, aren't we more awake to to the small and simple pleasures of life this is This is huge, I mean. I mean, there are so many moments of the day that we're happy, and if we're not paying attention, we don't even know it. <laughs> and so, with this practice, isn't it also easier to make decisions, the big ones and the little ones, when our minds are more calm, more focused? And don't we have better interaction with our family and friends and, and coworkers? And even more important, don't we begin to get the sense that the thinking mind, which is um, kind of so much put on a pedestal in our culture, that the thinking mind is really only one aspect of a greater, a more vast consciousness. And that, you know, we ourselves are so much more than our personality, the small sense of self that small sense of self, that personality that goes about its everyday concerns, you know, getting up in the morning, having breakfast, going to work, and then repeating over and over, <laughs> we, we begin to sense that we're so much more, really. And then we begin to experience some freedom. And we, we, we have freedom from that all that judging and critiquing that that goes on in you know kind of most people's minds usually focused on themselves, and of course then it's always wonderful to get some relief from that by focusing on someone else from time to time as well. Um, so freedom from all that judging, critiquing, freedom from those patterns, you know that we have developed. Um, Patterns of um, activity or patterns in thinking that, you know, have just become solidified. And we just find ourselves repeating the same things over and over. But with this practice, we really, we start to kind of disengage a little bit from those patterns. And we begin to um, have the, um, the power to begin to break away from those and we begin to have the ability to view the world, to see the world from this place of innate goodness, of, of wisdom, rather than from that place of greed and fear and aggression. So I also want to say and honor the fact that um, this faith that we have in something greater than our everyday selves, that this takes courageous effort, this practice takes, takes courageous effort. Because we, when we practice deeply, we, we uh, sometimes find ourselves face to face with our, our really our deepest fears, our deepest anxieties. we find ourselves face-to-face with our fragility and our vulnerability. And, um, you know, living in this world with all of its violence and um, its incomprehension, um, its vastness, um, its multitude of forces that we have so little or no control over. So sometimes it's really hard to look that truth, that kind of reality, straight in the face. So how to sustain ourselves through this kind of difficult experience? We practice with courageous effort And we can use our emotional life to support us as well. Emotion is the second um, ingredient um, in faith. So how can our emotional life offer support to our practice? How can it help support our faith in ourselves as something greater than that small sense of self? What sustains us and what keeps our faith steady, even when we face all those challenges that come up in our lives? Well, isn't it that sense of um, inner spaciousness, that sense of peacefulness, tranquility and equanimity that we at least create the conditions for, Every time we sit on the cushion or on the chair. This practice that we do of staying steady and staying calm, even when that pain in our back is just driving us crazy, (laughs) or that constant worry that we have about health or money and comes up again and again, so we practice with that, we practice staying steady, we, we practice staying spacious and practice cultivating that peacefulness, that peacefulness that really, um, that sense of ease that really has nothing to do with what's going on outside of ourselves, right? And so then when we've practiced in that way, then when those truly um, painful challenges come to us in life, we're not swept away. Um, We have cultivated some ease that stays with us, even through the greatest sorrows and the greatest losses that we experience. And, you know, it's interesting, it's often um, a great loss that brings people here to practice in the first place. I I know it was for me. And um, I just find that so interesting that these real treasures of life, and I really do consider um, my practice a treasure, that they um, open up to us not when we get what we want, not when everything goes our way, but rather when we, um, comes to us when we lose something that's dear to us or when something is taken away. So through the joy and the sorrow and the success and the failure, gain and loss, praise and blame, our practice really, um, sustains us, keeps us steady. And then there's the social ingredient to faith. And this really comes um, from community, from sangha, right? I mean, we can all support one another and just sitting together in silence. um, It's just an incredible um, kind of we're all kind of connected in a very special way, I think, when we're all sitting here in silence. It's, It's a very special thing. And so this web of Sangha includes all of us here. It includes all um, all practitioners alive at this moment who cultivate mindfulness. It The, the greater Sangha includes all beings enlightened and approaching enlightened, enlightenment who have practiced through the ages. So that would be the Buddha and his disciples, the Dalai Lama, And all of those great sages. So we sit here in very good company. And the Buddha, he almost always began his discourses to his disciples by saying, oh, nobly born. So when we sit, we're sitting as noble ones. We're sitting with the same dignity and wisdom and compassion that all the great teachers and students have sat with. So to end. um, I would like to just say that for me. Um, faith has been just a very great gift. I mean, it has inspired me to keep practicing through all the difficult times. And it's given me the ability to, and this is the best, to trust, to have confidence in myself, in my own deepest um, inner experience. Um, Faith in myself as one of the noble ones, as all of you here tonight are are noble ones, even though you sometimes forget it. Right. <laughs> so <clears throat> I'd like to end by reading that Rilke poem again, just because the last two lines are really um, an affirmation of faith, and they. They really bring balance to this poem, which um, without those two lines would have been just a very completely melancholy poem. Um, Kind of like the fall evenings now when the darkness comes early and there's that chill in the air. So autumn. As from the distance leaves are falling fall as if the far-off gardens fade into the sky. They fall with gestures of relinquishing. And through the night, there falls the pressing earth down past the star in lonesomeness. We are all falling. There, this hand falls too, occurring to us all. Just look around you. Still, there is one who holds us tenderly as in his hands we fall. Fall endlessly. So we have um, about five minutes left, and I'm just wondering if anyone would like to share any experiences um, around faith that um, that you might have had, or any questions about. What I said,
1: uh, you know, um, approaching practice for the first time, it was kind of a, uh, there was no faith involved. It just seemed like uh, I'll give this a shot, you know. So then uh, uh, I did it and uh, nothing much happened. But uh, I noticed that uh, I said, excuse me. And. uh I thought that was rather odd because I hadn't said that before to anyone. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And uh, I began to uh, smile and uh, feel... um, uh, I don't know what the word was at the time, but later on it became like a... kind. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was that that... uh, and that continued my practice. You know, I began to see that uh, it was possible to be human. I needed lessons. That's all I have.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. It is a powerful practice, the power of um, transformation. I think, you know, we could probably all speak to to that at this point. Um, Anyone else like to share? Okay. well, why don't we um, end with just a few minutes of sitting then?